Hello, welcome to Garage Night, Episode 4. Uh, I have today with me Jeff Tracy and Andy Tamlin. Uh, today we're going to get right into the news. Something about a mock. So, the interesting tidbit I found today. Um, yet, unnamed source pretty much confirmed the bullet will be going out at the end of 2020, and the Mach 1 is going to replace it in 21. That is pretty much as much as we know. Um, pretty much looks like there's going to be the usual Mach 1 options, you know, the similar style wheels, shaker hood, the black accents. Um, should be similar power level uh, as the Bullet was, so like a 20 horsepower increase over the GT. Um is that's about as much as we know so far. Just kind of a very, very brief insight into it, but it does look like the Mach 1 is hopefully returning for 21. I wonder if they're going to do all of the same, uh, in my opinion, terrible colors that they did on the Mach 1 in previous years, like uh, Grabber Blue and competition orange and all of those atrocious colors well, atrocious is a harsh word they're throwbacks to the olden colors well, i i totally get what they are but i uh I, no I, no I, love I, for competition I, orange are, I, I see um i'm not the biggest fan you know uh i give me like a beige mustang and i'm all about it but <laughs> but uh yeah, no, I, I I'd be interested to see if they bring back like what was that what was that really nasty green color that you liked a lot? The um, it was like a oh, it was like a pastel. The green, oh, the 2013 color, the gotta have it green. Yeah, that's such an awful <laughs> color. <laughs> They've got a new green for the for the new GT500. It's one of those things that I just think about when you know it was great in the period and in the day. But to put it on a new car, it just feels weird. I don't know. Uh, what do you guys think about that? Do you, do you think that those colors were are they right in those in the new cars, or are they are they weird? I think it more comes down to taste. There, there's hit and miss ones, and it does kind of come down to taste. There's a lot of new colors in old, you know, that 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 work as long as you know as well as you know the throwback colors. Like guard green, I, I think is I love, absolutely I love like guard perfect green. color. Like that's, There's really that's not. a fantastic. I think the argument you're making is subtle pastels, subtle colors and pastels versus uh, you know loud. Like you probably didn't like screaming yellow on the uh, new edges either. I think it's just a style that you that you don't like, which it's because they can look really bad really fast. Versus muted colors like I don't know, like a. Uh, dark island green dark, dark island green <laughs> you know uh it just looks good all the time in the rain and the does. snow and the sun it just always looks good so i think that's more kind of what you're getting at i don't think that necessarily uh um you know grabber blue is bad on its own but i do think that it's less classically attractive than like a sonic blue even or uh, or like a even darker shade of of blue. I really like the colors that look almost black yeah. or gray until you really get up on them. I know right. that G recently Jeep had a color. I think like four or five years ago on their 
uh, Grand Cherokee that was kind of like a guard, but like a triple coat metallic. Ooh, and nice. so it, in, in the shadow, it looked kind of like a gray, but it had, you could tell kind of had some green in it, but as soon as the light would hit it, all the flakes would come up green. Yeah. <clears throat> I, yeah. I can't remember what it was called. I've seen that color. Yeah. It did. That does look really nice. See, I feel like, you know, there's, there's the, the old cars of the, of the, 60s and 70s when they brought those out those loud colors like really fit into a place in time right but these new cars when they kind of regurgitate that old uh style or try to recreate it i feel like they really miss something you know they don't have that same classic appeal i mean i guess the same can be said about any type of rehash of a classic car but i don't know it there's some that can be tastefully done yeah. but with a modern spin they kind of give it something in its own right but to, to harken all the way back the something of that era that that was i don't know it just it feels a little bit of a i don't know it just feels weird to me maybe i'm not expressing it right but anyway um yeah i don't know maybe i'm just i'm rambling now <laughs> i think i think that those colors are meant for somebody just not for you because when i was growing up i wanted a bright yellow new edge with uh, two black stripes. Like that's, that's what I wanted more than uh, anything. And of course, when I got my Mustang five or six years later, it was a dark green, you know, Mustang with no spoiler and just the most subdued look of any V8 new edge. So tastes change uh, a bit. You're just kind of a man unstuck in time. And I'm, it you just don't like that color on the new style, which the way that they have so much more going on, so much more cuts in the in the body lines, and just you know looking at this GT uh, five hundred right now, it's just a little, little overwrought if it was a bright color. Mm -hmm. That's a that's a great way to put it. There's it, it, there's a lot of I, I wouldn't say busyness because I think they look good, and busyness implies something negative uh well but... we're comparing it relative to a 67 mustang body right. lines right they've added a lot of a lot of things to it to give it some styling edge that they can't get away with because of crass regulations and all that stuff you know so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um you know safety standards kind of prevent them from being as creative so they kind of fancy them up with all types of different uh you know fascias and and things to to give it some appeal but um, like you say, that kind of adds adds a lot of lines and visual uh, visual salad. If you, I guess if you if you want to look at it that way, um, lots of things to see, and and adding that color on top of that, just I, I mean for me is is too much. But maybe you know maybe I'm kind of uh, in, in a weird place. But um, Andy, you, know, you have a bright electric green. You know, uh, I think that pretty much shows, shows my opinion on top. I don't like the care of my or the plain, you know, simple, your, your natural colors, your natural tones. I, I like the bright, I like the in-your-face colors being, I have to. I have the electric green as stated and the competition orange. So I think you can see my favorites lie. I like, mm -hmm. I, those, those are what I go for. You know, I've, <laughs> I've had, you know, daily drivers and plain colors. I still do. We've got a white daily driver. We've had a silver one. I'm not a big fan. It's just a plain mundane color to me. I want something that's going to pop even on a daily driver, which is why I 
you know, I can't wait for the Mach 1 to see what actually colors they put on it. I like that they put some of the wild colors on the 2020 G- on the 2020 GT500. <clears throat> I think the key is to offer both, like offer a grabber blue, but offer a guard green. Like exactly, exactly. The Mach One kind of more the niche kind of car versus the GT five hundred. You know, you're not. It's the it's the midway gap between a a GT and a, you know, the the all out GT five hundred. Being you're still naturally aspirated without the supercharger, but you get you know the little bit of power boost. You get the you know, the appearance package, I think it said it was going to come with like the suspend, like the level two suspension package versus, you know, the GT is just going to come with a normal suspension package. But Well, yeah, I'm reading the words rumor, like, yeah. uh, I mean, it, asserts, we're, we're two years um, out. Likely. I mean, it's all speculation yeah, it's, it's, now. It's a lot of maybe. I would hope, you know, because look at the, look at the 0304 Mach 1, you know, you it, it did come with, you know, stiffer sway bars, Um you know, better, better shocks from the, you know, the normal GT and the obvious, you know, appearance and, you know, trim things that kind of asserted itself as, you know, a little bit better car than the GT. And that's what I would expect from the 21 version. Comes to- I'm, I'm going to be a little disappointed, but also I suppose there's, there's a point for it. Uh, reading this, they expect it to be a kind of a, to quote them, rebadged bullet where it's going to have all the same performance stuff, um, but just have a, a different look. So you could then get the car, the same car, either subtle or in a couple years later, you could get a loud version that perform identically. And that's, I can see the draw of that two flavors of the same ice cream, but I, I also feel that maybe it's just because coming from new edges, I liked that the 99 Cobra, the 01 Bullet, the 0304 Mach 1, the Terminator, these were all right. succinctly different vehicles. Like you can you can sit down and go, well, the, the 99 uh, Cobra and the Mach 1 both had the four valves. The Bullet only had the two valve, uh, but the 99 Cobra had the independent rear suspension versus the other two that are solid axle and i like that kind of mix and match and i would hope that they would do something more than just an I, aggressive I looking bullet yeah I, there's, there's a lot of opportunity and there's they're taking this you know, a lot of things that they can do you know offering you know, some sort of different suspension package on it or you know maybe some sort of carbon package or track back package who knows you know they're doing all sorts of stuff like that now with the 500s and the 350s you can get that you know, it just kind of depends on what what you want and preference. But you know, the bullet is kind of the the bullet is the bullet. You don't. There's no really picking and choosing with the bullet. You get the bullet. So, yeah, I would hope it's not just, mm-hmm. just not a rebranded. Jeff, do you have it? Do you, does Jeff have any other thoughts on it uh, other than the last three words in the article, uh, which say offer all wheel drive? Um, I, I would say probably not at this point. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I really like a lot of the new, um, uh, like the, I don't know, the new, what is it? The, uh, the GT 350. I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Um, I'll be interested to see what happens when they get, you know, when they put together a bullet or, uh, or, you know, a, a mock. I mean, I, I, the bullet's definitely more my style, you know, it's a lot more what i'm after something a little more subdued and subtle 
Um, but I think it's interesting that they're going to offer both, you know, and if they're similar, similar spec, you know, um, I don't know, that'd be kind of interesting because then you get the, you know, you get, you satisfy people like, like me who like something a little more subtle. And then you also satisfy people handy who want something a little more in your face. Um, you know, so I, I think that kind of be an interesting I, I would think so. It's, it's definitely you're going to hit both ends of the market. You know, cards, you're right? you're talking about when you look at the dif- the difference in the, and the jump from the GT to a 350 or a 500. You're talking about a significant price point difference, where the bullet and the mock are a little bit more of a fun car, but not at a, such an, an absorbent price jump up to the 350 or 500 level. And if they're basically spinning it off as a brand, then they need to hit those different price points. You know, I, I think it's smart for them doing it and bringing it back because, you know, like you and me both, you know, a mock and a bullet, it's more additional of an exclusivity thing versus just another GT, another GT or something like that. You know, it's it's not just, you know, another GT or another, you know, GT that's been modified to some extent. It's a different part. It's you know, a little bit more of an exclu- exclusive thing like the, o, the 0304 mock or the 01 bullet. Kind of interested to see what you guys think on a uh, on like a philosophical level a little bit. <laughs> I'll, I'll bring this up. Um, you know, getting into something old, uh, getting into something classic, um, and then getting into something modern, and, and knowing you can go to the dealership and buy a brand new modern car and be one of you know um, fifteen or twenty thousand you know new. I don't know, rare Mustangs or whatever on the road versus getting into something classic like, I don't know, 67 GT500 or something, right? Like, like, do you feel like the exclusivity is kind of hyped up a little bit? That that whole idea, like it's more the the idea that it's a rare car or something that's more of a marketing thing than it is like you're actually in a rare car, you know? I mean, I, I don't know. Is, does it does it feel that way to you? Like it's a little fake? Like that whole thing, or do you feel authentic? I, I I think there's a little bit of both there. I mean, I'm a bit of a collector, and I do like to you know kind of think that you know it mm-hmm. is a little bit more exclusive. So it's it's to me it is it's different than just a totally. GT. You know, like you know, I I I had plenty of opportunities to get out of the six and into something different. I never did until you know my Cobra came around, and for that reason, you know, it's it's a rare combination. There's you know not not that many of them produce in that you know that color that trim option right. you know that year it's a it's a one-year thing and it's a very low production thing that's that's why i jumped on it because i i like that that's that's just my preference you know i like having a car you don't you know you don't just see every day you know you, you see mine it's oh we don't see that every day you know right yeah i i mean i think that it doesn't really matter it is a fake it, it is it is fake. They they literally say, oh, there's going to be 2,500 of these. There's going to be 7,000 of these. And they pull that out of the air. They can produce as many as they want. They just, you know, and when they find a cash cow, all of a sudden the Raptor becomes, oh, this is just always going to be around. And so they are, they're, they're asking more, oh, because it's rare. There's only a few. Well, 
you know, at a certain point they're asking, you know, dealer markup, it, you know, it's going to become the same price as a better car and it doesn't really matter. That said, I am a hypocrite <laughs> because I really enjoy going, I have one of 3,200 green uh, bullets from 2001. It's the only year they made it. You know, they didn't make it again until 0809. Like this is the only new edge year. And I, I don't know why I like that, but a level of exclusivity is, is fun. It, it's stupid kind of lizard brain stuff. It's like, oh, I'm special because I have this thing. But it is there, and it does make you feel good. And at the end of the day, that's really what matters. Um, yeah, I would I get another uh, rare car? Uh, yeah, because I, I like having... I like having uh, like a, a more uh exclusive uh vehicle like i don't own a regular vehicle right now uh, everything i own is usually weird in some way with the exception of the focus even my uh plebeian um escape was a sport package they didn't make a ton of those uh um my 540 is the 540i with a sport package and when you get the the wheels and the colors together it doesn't they don't make many of them. Even my X5 is a diesel three-row. Not common. And I, I do like that, that kind of sets things apart. Um, instead of like the Focus was just a white hatchback. And there is there is millions of them. Yeah. Exactly. You diamond yeah. dozen. So there is something to be said for, oh, this is unique. I mean, everyone wants to be unique, but there's no Mustang that you can buy right now that will be nearly as unique as Andy's Fobra. Right. That that's that was kind of something I was kind of hinting at a little bit is you know, you're you're talking about getting cars off of a showroom, you know, you're going out and you're buying a car that anyone else can just as equally buy. Whereas not everyone can build a car or, you know, put together something like what Andy did with his Fobra where it's parts from, you know, different year cars to make something just super unique and special that not everyone has either the ability to to build or the desire or the patience or any of that to put something together that really is truly one of a kind that no one else has. I guess that's kind of where I was getting at. Like, I guess, where do you define unique, right? Where, you know, like, like, to me, I guess it, even your Ranger to some degree, Randy, is like, it's super unique, right? Like there's not. It is. They deleted range. the rear seats. That's, yeah, that's well, one thing. Yeah, And it's been like, <laughs> and it's been wrecked how many times it put back together and you fixed it and you put all this time into it after all of these, you know, weird things in, in, in its yep. life that have contributed to being exactly where it is today. and made Should it, have told kind it of twice. Unique. Right. But it, it's super unique story and like just the story behind the vehicle is super interesting. And I feel like, I don't know, I feel like some of that, some of the stuff that you get from cars today is more of, of a marketing story that makes you think it's authentic. I, I don't know. It just, it doesn't, it's just a strange, strange thing for me when I see something that's, that's really interesting and really rare. Like, like again, back to Andy Swobra, like something that he, built from basically nothing and even his in his old six too that he had that was just you know it was a bone stock automatic v6 mustang that was not 
interesting in the least bit other than it had a really pretty color. And he made it into something that could stomp V8s all day and handle like it was on rails. And it was super cool and it was different. And there wasn't another one in the entire country like it. Now that's exclusivity to me, not like going and buying a new, uh, you know, uh, buying yeah. a new Mustang and saying, hey, guess what? I got it. Yeah, I mean, you know, going, you know, talking brand new, you know, going back, you know, yeah, the, you know, if you're talking the 500, the 350, the mock, the bullet, you know, it's different than, you know, just the standard off the, you know, off the truck GT, but, you know, exclusivity definitely is, you know, built, not just, you know, picked off an order sheet. Right, right. And that that's all I was kind of like pointing at is like, you know, there's, and, and it, it totally like people can't always build a car like like that's I'm, and I'm not at all trying to take away any type of interesting feeling people have towards like, oh, I went and got this cool car. It's super neat. And I'm super excited about it. Like, I want to stifle that. That's that's awesome. And everyone has their time and ability to get into the hobby. But like when we talk about exclusivity and, you know, people getting really all excited over something that's really like it, anybody can really go get a loan and buy Versus not everybody can go sit for hours in the garage and plan a build and put something together that's super cool and super interesting, you know, like, um, you know, that that to me is something just that I don't know is that that like you say is like that's that's some real exclusivity, right? Like not anybody can just go buy a 2001 Mustang with a 2003 drivetrain swap and, uh, you know, supercharger and all of this stuff and just you know, open, you know, and, and be able to drive it and maintain it and keep it on the road. Right. Like that's something that's pretty interesting that you can do. Yeah. You can, you can get a true blue Oh one bullet and be one of 230 probably that are left. And it's still not as interesting as the one of one 1950 Chevy that you built. If you want to talk exclusivity, if you build something, that's the only one there is. Right. Exactly. I didn't know there were so few of those bullets. That's actually pretty cool. <laughs> it could be seven hundred. I'll double check my, uh, here, my, here, my I am, facts. here. I am bashing it, but I actually find that pretty interesting that there were so few of those made. Yeah, there's still a knee jerk just, to I'm it. On, I'm on the production side right now. I I can look. I was because I was curious. I was checking on the electric green numbers. Yeah, I, I think it's seven hundred and twenty instead of two hundred and seventy or whatever. Whatever I said, I think got my numbers still seven hundred of something is still pretty rare. It's oh yeah, so that's. I mean, bullets. Dark Highland Green, three thousand forty-one. True Blue, eighteen eighteen. Uh, oh, sorry, that's black and yeah. True Blue seven twenty. There it is, seven twenty. I shouldn't know, seven twenty. Whatever. Yeah. I, I will say though that the the funny thing is is what what is. Um, hey, isn't that what we called Adri seven twenty? Um, anyway, sorry. Yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Yeah, so isn't uh, so one thing that I find interesting is is uh, as things age, you know that exclusivity changes, right? Like by a long shot, you know, what, like what was once, oh yeah, like what was once super common, like, and I'm going to use my own car as an example, like 1960 Falcon. There were 444,000 produced in 1960 alone. Maybe and, there's 4,400 that are still drivable in the U.S. Yeah. now. Yeah, like how many do you see driving on your daily commute or even on any commute? You know what I mean? Like Citroen 2CV. Right. Or, you know, yeah, there's 
and and they made millions of them around the world and and you may see a couple at car shows over the years yeah yeah totally you know talking numbers that's basically you know exactly why i bought the cobra that i did i can tell you right now i've seen personally my eyes i have seen four electric green cobras through the years Mine is the only one I have still to this day seen with a black interior, which is the least, uh, the smallest production number one that they made. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And, and then, that's why you know, in, in 15 years, 20 years, guess what? Like your car is yeah. going to be probably one of one left. You know what I mean? Like exactly. It's only, it's only going to go down. Yeah. 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 Look at, look at, you know, competition orange numbers or, or mystochrome numbers on terminators. Whoa. That number down significantly i mean there was only a thousand and ten i believe to start with you know of, of mr chrome terminators i mean that i know i've seen at least 10 of those for a fact that i've seen wrecked i know so you're less you know you get cars that either sit out uh, and and rust away which is more like the old cars that i'm into or you get cars like you know these performance cars that that we're all kind of into like the mustangs that usually end up in a, in a ditch somewhere or into a crowd <laughs> You know, like they get they get totaled and then they, you know, it's too expensive to fix them. And then the, the numbers just drop. So to find a clean one anymore. I mean, it's kind of like what happened with the foxes. You know, the foxes have just blown up in value the last few years because all of them ended up turning into just piles of junk. You know, all of the V8 GTs. Yeah. All, yeah. Of, the, all of the five speeds, all the, the ones that people want. You, you can still find a. Uh, four-cylinder LX convertible, no offense to anyone who has one, but you can still find those, and they're all just beat up and just sitting around in fields. Right. You ha- you had one. I mean, you know, but it's just it's just kind of interesting how that whole, how it just changes, you know, with time, like, you know. Well, I had a coupe, but yes. Yeah, I, you had, I, you I, I accept the premise. <laughs> well, I don't know. Notch is probably even more rare, really. Yeah, I like that notch. We'll talk about fox bodies sometime. Okay, do we want to hit uh, any of these other uh, stories here? The, we the, the we can touch on the screen really quick. It's not a really big article, but I just think it's ridiculous. That's why I put it there. The Cadillac? Yeah, the Cadillac. Yeah, I watched the video. I couldn't tell. Was that supposed to be like the entire dash? That entire dash is a giant... 38-inch OLED screen. Ugh. And do you want to set the stage a little bit? This is the uh, the new Escalade? Um, yeah. It's coming the out. 21, the 2021 Escalade. Um, it's supposed to be fully revealed February 4th, it says here in this article, but the quick little 12-second clip, it's just a giant. 38-inch um, OLED, OLED screen. screen. Yeah. It's Wow. If you watch the video, it kind of just shows you the dash, and it's just this giant, giant screen with a super high resolution, and then it fades out. Just a, just a blank tease, but I just think it's massively, massive overkill. I've never been a giant, you know, fan of giant screens in cars. I've never been a fan of the Tesla, da- you know, the the big blank screen dash set up on it. This is just another one of those eh things to me. It's just overkill. It's a the hype thing for the car. You see a lot of this in uh, the the fitness industry too. You know, people putting ginormous touchscreens and stuff on treadmills. Like, 
at some point, you know, you think, wow, this is like, this is not only inconvenient, it's dizzying and it's not a pleasant user experience just because you can say you have a bigger touchscreen than the next car company doesn't mean that people will buy it. It's not a spec race, you know, it's, it's all about the experience. And I can't imagine that a 38 inch OLED screen in front of your face while you're driving is safe or fun to be, or, or, you know, a good user experience. Can they dim that enough to not create light pollution? Is that even possible? Because I, I get light pollution from my instrument panel. I can't imagine yeah, I, this massive I screen. have no idea. I just, it's, it's so just big, bold in your face. Like, I get a headache just thinking about driving that back and forth to work. Like, it's just so much. Maybe the high resolution will make it kind of smooth enough that it'll just kind of blend into the dash, which I know kind of defeats the purpose, but I don't mind the, the configurable uh, dash that you can put, you know, I want these gauges and I want them this color and I want them this style. Sure. A little bit of customization can be fun, but at a certain point, I mean, I, 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 it is an Escalade. It's supposed to be overkill. And with the new Navigator being so dang good, Cadillac has to turn the wick up a little bit. Yeah, I've heard that new Navigator is pretty nice. All the reviews look awesome on it. If I had hundred grand, I'd buy, I'd, I, I'd put it towards the house. But like, yeah, I was gonna say I wouldn't buy. We all be putting it towards the house, or we'd all be out of the house. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, no, I was just saying, my dad has a, a 2015 um, Escalade, and it, it has the kind of the satin finish gauge display. It's like a matte finish L LCD, I'm guessing. And um, it it's super, like, I, I wouldn't say nauseating, but it definitely will give you a headache if you look at it for too long. Um, whereas his center panel, where the actual, like, radio controls are, um, is a lot more clear, more like an iPad-type display. And, uh, you know, to your point, I think maybe having a higher-def display maybe would make it a little more palatable to have that type of, uh, that type of interface. But still, I think... 38 inch OLED is a little over the top. We'll have to see it in person. Maybe the you guys can uh, do a report from the Portland Auto Show if you guys are one of you guys is in the area. I'll I'll probably be there. So cool. I don't know about Portland, but maybe maybe if they do one over here, I don't know. All right, let's go on to our rides. Uh, this week, I'm going to go ahead and start uh, with my first truck. Um, we talked about Andy's first car uh, last week with his uh, Fobra and, and what that went through. Mine's a bit truncated. Um, but it's got a fun start to it. So I was looking through for my first vehicle, and uh, it was almost actually, uh, I'm not sure if the boys know this, my first vehicle was almost a, um, as my friend said, poop brown uh, 87 Bronco two. Oh man, you missed out. Yeah. You should. Yeah. yeah. That would have, that would have been fun. Uh, but my parents decided it wasn't, uh, reliable enough. Like they didn't, uh, they, they didn't want to have to come get me if it broke down. That was their whole thought. So they wanted to pay more money, which fine. probably a good call. And it had, uh, the KC lights or hella lights. I forget with the, with the smiley, smiley face covers on them. And I, I liked that. Um, 
would have been cool, but it's a, it's okay. Um, cause you know, the Bronco, the top comes off, but the Bronco two doesn't. Uh, so, but it had like that Safari, the Safari windows that went kind of curled up at the top. Um, there's an Idaho, but I ended up, uh, looking at stuff online and, um, searching around eBay. We found a few and one that caught my eye was a little 2003 Ranger bright red had this little, uh, barbed wire pinstripe all the way around it. Um, I know it sounds white trash, but it actually came across a lot better, um, in reality than it sounds like the barbed wire that you'd put around your bicep, you know, the tattoos you get. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, it actually looked pretty good and it had the, those, uh, kind of at the bottom of the door and along there, kind of the, that the Rangers bubble out a little bit. It had the Chrome kind of kick panels there. And just the way that that tied in with the Chrome bed caps, um, actually worked. It wasn't, it wasn't as gaudy as, as it sounds. Um, it was, a, it was a handsome little truck. It had pretty low miles. We got it, uh, out of North Dakota on eBay. And, uh, so that meant we got to drive to North Dakota, which meant since I was 15, I had to get a little more driving under my belt. So we flew to, uh, well, we connected in Denver and then flew up to Minneapolis, Minnesota, Minneapolis, St. Paul, and then took the Amtrak over to Devil's Lake, North Dakota. And we, we went, took the train at night and woke up at about 6 a.m. We got into a little, little town, nice little town. It was uh, early summer. And so it was just very green. Got off the train. The dealership picked me up a uh, nice little, little dealership there. Um, and you know, we had already paid for the truck. So we signed a couple of things and, and we were on our way. I had all of three hours of driving under my, uh, permit and we started driving all the way back to, uh, Portland, Oregon from there. Um, we went down through, through the, the black Hills. Um, we saw Rushmore, went through Yellowstone, and, uh, you know, straight through, um, straight through Idaho and home, uh, took us three or four days, but in devil's lake, we happened to be there the day of their, uh, year's biggest car show. I'm talking maybe 10,000 people in this town. And there was not another town that big for four hours in each direction driving, uh, but I've got pictures. There was some cool stuff there. Um, we got to drive through some, you know, really high mountains later on, but North Dakota is unrealistically flat. We drove for hours, just straight down the freeway. And of course I would do 57, uh, which was what was allowed. And my dad found the speed limiter in the first hour. Uh, What's turns the out speed it's limiter on a Ranger. 95. Oh. 95. I got to pass a semi with four hours of driving experience. <laughs> 95. Oh, <fine. laughs> um, was that thing yeah, an automatic we, or a manual? It was an automatic. So it was a, uh, it was an 03, uh, 4x4 XLT, uh, kind of standard fare. But it was uh, the 4 liter automatic 
uh, and it had four tens, but it was open. Um, the tires we bought that came on it were, were awful. So we bought some BFG all-terrain KOs like everyone did in 2006. Yes, 2006. Uh, it was a great little truck. And uh, so I had that all through my permit year. And then um, President's Day, I had, I had been 16 for a month six weeks everyone knows where this is going uh it's president's day had the day off of school um jeff and i went to the same school at that point uh every other day and um i just made a, a right turn and it slid maybe i took it too hot i didn't feel i did was but, it off road uh, or was it on road it was on road um uh what i think happened is i think i, I dropped a wheel I turned too sharp and dropped a wheel. Yeah, and then it unweighted the truck. It sent me to the other side of that of that side road and then reweighted and I was probably still on the gas and just sent me straight into a telephone pole. Uh, was yeah, it head so, on? Yeah, uh it it went the pole went right between the frame rails, which on Ooh. the Ranger it, it's only front and rear impact airbags. And you have to get pressure on the uh, on the the frame rails to to get them to deploy. So no airbags, um, but it hit hard enough to bend in uh, the front bumper. I mean, it went past ninety degrees, and it actually hit the the engine so hard that it moved the engine and transmission back six inches into the chassis. Ooh. And they said that's part of why it got totaled that. And uh, it was, there was kind of an embankment. So my right rear wheel and my left rear wheel Rangers have pretty good articulation, but not 50 degrees, uh, you know, front to back. Um, yeah. The, the, the right side was on the ground and the left side was up uh, three, four feet. Ooh. So it, it tweaked the frame real bad, but the, the wow. interior of this truck, I mean, I'm, I probably hit it doing 30, no airbags. I was completely fine. You couldn't tell that the interior was that anything had happened. And I have a picture of the interior while it was still parked at the scene of the crash. And all you could tell is that, um, my, uh, blockbuster rentals had slid has slid uh, uh, off off the seat, but that was that was all that happened. I bet that was a late rental fee. <laughs> I don't remember actually. I think I had a, a movie pass, so I could return it whenever I wanted. Ah, oh, fancy. Yeah, going through bones. Yeah, the series. Unimportant. Man, you're you're lucky you didn't like seriously hurt yourself. That sounds like Andy's uh, hit. Yeah, I basically mine was basically the same. I mean, yeah, this is this is part of why we have the vehicles. You know, we have some of us. Um, <laughs> uh, like safety is is just a priority for me for vehicles. It's 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 the first thing. It needs to be first safe, and then I can look at everything else. Simply because I have been in an accident. I haven't been in a serious accident. I've never been injured in an accident. But like 
the ranger that replaced that one, which uh, Little Blue I'll touch on another day, but uh, that one, uh, just a year newer, protected my wife and her six-pound dog in a, in a, a mild rollover. So I, I, you know, I, I believe in that age of vehicles for, for most vehicle safety. And, um, but that was a, it was a good little truck. It was, it, it was shiny. It was that shiny fun thing. And, uh, another buddy of mine, I remember we would sit in the truck after I got it, he would come over and, and, uh, we would just sit in the truck with the radio on, uh, at night just cause, Hey, it was kind of our own little place. I was very straight edge. So I never drove it because, you know, when I had my permit, but we would, we would sit out in it and just listen to mix CDs that we had burned 20 minutes earlier. And, um, there's a lot of, a lot of good, good memories in that truck. I only had for 15 months. That was that good age when you, everyone had like the, uh, well, what were those little air fresheners, the black ice air freshener and you listening to your, uh, uh, to your all American rejects and your, uh, you know, your, uh, uh, death cab for cutie or whatever fallout boy <laughs> yeah cr- crooked teeth um sugar going down papa roach yeah papa roach. Last yeah. Resort. don't yeah. don't knock my black eyes air fresheners i still love those i know you do <laughs> <laughs> that was totally like that era man that was like that was a good time like i think i still have that youtube video of me when i first got my mustang and i was uh cruising around and I had Papa Roach in the background. <laughs> just <laughs> yeah. talk, talk about old Fox Body videos. There's there's one we'll have to touch on sometime. You know, something about some uh, <laughs> upgraded, <laughs> upgraded nineteen pound injectors. That's okay. We could we could omit that from here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, no, that's always kind of fun. Like to hear about like the getting a car. Like it was just. Like those are like the super cool experiences that you get to like have, you know, and that are that last forever. Like just that those trips and those interesting things that you you know you don't ever forget those first few few hours with your car, you know. And it's not just your first vehicle. I mean, <clears throat> that's that's how we met. Was you know when I got my bullet, and and the memories I have uh, with that car are distinct and different and still you know a lot of a lot of good memories um but yeah that's that's i think part of why i like cars i don't like working on them they make me angry i wish i was i wish i could but they i'd get upset after literally five minutes of working on something the first time something doesn't go right i'd start throwing things right so for me, it's more the act of doing, and I've, I found that with most stuff, with motocross, with with everything. I'm I'm not the wrench. I, I wish I had the acumen that you know you guys have. You know, Andy had the whole time, and that Jeff has has recently acquired. I just don't. I'm more of a doer. In the, hey, give me a race car that's done. I'll sit in it, and I will. I'll, I'll go around the track as fast as I can. And try and you know beat lap times, but once it comes in, I go, oh, I don't know, sputter and fix it. <laughs> Randy, you are the perfect candidate for the Cobra Jet program. <laughs> well, that's totally kind of like what we were talking about earlier. You know, like each person has their limits and has their abilities to do certain things, right? And to enjoy the hobby, and you know, you can all operate within those bounds. Like, there's definitely been times when I've been really frustrated with my cars, and I'm like. 
maybe I should just get a new one and just, you know, forget this whole thing and just enjoy driving. Cause I mean, that's what I think all of us like to do more than anything is even more than wrenching on them is actually driving them. Like I don't spend hours to build a car just to build a car. I do it cause I want to drive it. I don't do it so it can sit in a garage and I can keep tinkering with it. Like it seems to like to be there, but I, you know, I, I like driving it and you like driving your bullet and I think Andy like you like driving your, your Mustang. So, I mean, it's like, it's totally one of those things where, um, I don't know, you, you gotta enjoy the hobby where you can and within the limits of your, of your life. Right. Like, you know, you have kids, you can't spend all the time, you know, tinkering on a car. So enjoy it by going out and, and driving it, you know, on the weekends or whatever. Yeah, it's a lot easier for me to spend, um, you know, two hours uh, cruising out to where you are and we go for a drive and we and, you know, we, we drive each other's cars. And we Then we go back and we park for an extra hour just talking like, oh, I'm about to leave. We're both cold outside. Neither of us have jackets. But we'll just keep talking for another 15 minutes, another 15 minutes. And that's that's what I have time for. But the 60 I'm sorry, 600 hours to to build a car. I just don't have, I don't make that kind of time. I use my time for uh, for other things, for family stuff and, and for for more driving and, you know, other hobbies and such. And, but you have the time, you make the time and you guys both modify your cars and drive them. And that's, that's really, really cool. That's one of those things that, you know, like, I mean, do the car that I did. I basically gave up my, all my free time for the better part of a year to, to basically get it done. Like I didn't, I didn't go to the gym. I didn't go, you know, which was what I used to do as like my, kind of my hobby. Um, I don't, I didn't, you know, play video games. Every time I play a video game, I'd sit there and feel guilty that I couldn't, I, I was like, I had this project that I wanted to do. And I needed to prove to myself that I could do it, you know? So it was like, you know, it was a big sacrifice to, to take that time away from anything else that you want to do with your life and devote it to, you know, building something like that's, that's hard to do. And it's not, you know, if you have kids, it's basically impossible. So, you know, you almost want to do that either before you have kids or, you know, wait till they're the age where they want to be a part of it with you. Um, so that way it's more of a, a bonding experience rather than a dad's always out in the shop working on his car and he doesn't want to spend time with me, you know, that, you know, that's not what you want their memories to be about. So, you know. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's what I do with motocross is my, you know, my sons, they, they do love dirt bikes. I kind of made sure of it, you know, if they weren't into it, that's fine. And still growing up, you know, don't make your kid do something that they're not interested in. They're just going to hate it more but they are interested in it. And so it's nice that my, my main hobby, I get to go out with the boys and, and do that. And as they get a little older, you know, they'll get more interested in cars. They love cars. They love uh, monster trucks, you know, that sort of thing that kids do. But if they get to the point at, you know, 12 or 13, that they want to start restoring a car with me for them to drive when they get older, if my wife's okay with it, we'll get like a Porsche 914 and we'll, we'll put it together, you know? And that's, that's actually a really good level of project. I think, you know, something like a Porsche 914, you know, and 
not everybody should do what I did where you start with a rusted pile of crap that needs every single thing, you know. It, again, it comes to like levels of what you want to be able to bite off, you know, for your first project, it makes probably a lot more sense to buy something that's already running and driving and in pretty decent shape and doesn't have a lot of rust. So you're just kind of tinkering with the mechanicals and then you start kind of, you know, working your way up or, or you do something on the entirely other end of the spectrum, like Andy did where he buys something that's, you know, more new, little, has a lot more support in the aftermarket. You know, you can get parts for it. You're not making stuff and you're not doing rust repair. You get to do the fun stuff. You get to build the engine, you get to make power, you get to do the suspension and make it go fast, you know, instead of spending all your time, you know, I don't know. There's, there's so many different ways you can go with the hobby, right? Like it's not just a, you know, one size fits all. Yeah. There's, there's definitely endless, you know, directions you can take, you know, you can ground up, you can start from a platform, you can buy a kit, you know, there's multiple different ways you can go. Yeah. As long as you don't do a bro dozer, you're fine. No bro dozers. Yeah. You put toe mirrors up, you're going to have a bad time. <laughs> gonna have a bad time. You sounded like Towley there for a minute. You're gonna have a bad time if you don't forget to bring it down. <laughs> we can't clear that. We can't clear that. We'll get in trouble for that. <laughs> um, Edit. Quick before before the lawyers here. Um, Andy wanted to touch real quick on a vehicle that isn't isn't his, but he does get to drive from time to time, and it is cool yeah so you know kind of along the lines of your truck you know if you're you know going to a, a good length to getting in a, a new to you car um so we'll touch on the one it was a fun trip so a couple years ago now my dad decided to he sold his old corvette 72 corvette that he's had for decades now wanted something more which was an awesome car in its oh, own Oh, yeah, definitely. Ride, by the way. But he wanted something he could go out, go out and drive and wasn't, you know, wasn't afraid to go actually go out and drive and enjoy, you know, whereas the Corvette was kind of the, the collector and, you know, it had, you know, immaculate paint for a car that was painted in 75 still and, you know, kind of, you know, one that you don't, didn't want to drive all the time. It kind of ended up being a car that sat in the garage on the lift for years before it was driven. So, yeah, outed that and picked up a... Uh, 2013 Boss 302 in race red. And that was a, still is, still is a phenomenal car to drive in absolutely 100% factory, factory spec. You know, it's miles ahead of a 2013 GT. Um, so that car he bought out of uh, Nebraska. He went out, flew out there, went out, looked at it. Loved it and basically bought it there. And at the time, the weather was not the best. So um, the guy that he bought it from, you know, kept it in his garage for a couple months until the weather was good because this was kind of the going into the bad seasons. Um, so we ended up, weather turned better. I think it was around, probably around spring breakish time. Um, we ended up basically flying out to get it. We flew in to Denver again. Um, where I have a cousin who lives up there and the gentleman that he bought the car from drove it to Denver and to my cousin's house. And we basically went there and picked it up from there and drove it back from Denver. Um, could have done it in one day, but we, we stopped about halfway in, uh, Oh, where was it? I want to say it was twin falls. Um, 
and then saved that in Twin Falls and came back. But that was a interesting drive. I mean, the new car bought, you know, a new boss. So needless to say, it was it was put through its paces on the on the drive. But um, yeah, it was it's a good drive. Uh, you know that 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 drive out there. You from Denver basically you go up into into Wyoming. You take you come through Wyoming into Utah. You come into Salt Lake, and then you know up into Southern Idaho, back into Portland. It's it's a nice drive. It's kind of a nice country out there, and kind of can just can just go, and everybody can leave you alone. It's it's a nice drive, nice scenery, but uh, the drive itself was interesting. We basically hit every kind of weather you could imagine. We left Denver. It was probably sixty five and sunny, and we get into Wyoming, up into the hills. All of a sudden, we're at about seven thousand feet coming through Wyoming. And come out of the fog, and the road is covered in snow, with probably about an inch of snow on the road. But uh, yeah, so we went, yeah, north out of Denver through Wyoming that way, and so from sunny to snow, came out of the snow to probably twenty miles an hour max speed of you know thick fog coming out of that, and then rain off and on to Twin Falls. Stopped and stayed in Twin Falls. And then the next morning, we stopped at the gas station, filled the car, and I was talking to a gentleman on a bike um, when we were paying for gas and kind of chit-chatting with him. And he's like, you know, he ended up staying kind of close to where we were. And he was coming through the same route. And he said he he only stopped because he basically took shelter because apparently there was a tornado all of about 10 miles behind us that we were not aware of on that trip. Not running a tornado. Basically, that crossed our path that we just barely beat. So that was kind of interesting. Yeah, didn't even know it was there. And then the next day, we took took the rest of the drive, Twin Falls, up through Boise, and back to Portland. Pretty, you know, no no problem, basically. And from, from there, pretty easy shot. But um, definitely, it's definitely a car... You could get in right now and drive from Portland, you know, to LA or, you know, drive to the East Coast comfortably in, you know, 100% stock trim. would have no problem driving across the country. And, you know, it's a fun car you could do that awesome. in. Awesome. And um, so, Jeff, how'd your weekend go? Yeah. Well, uh, not ideal. Uh, I, uh, so I finally, you know, got my uh, suspension pretty dialed in and I put the car up on the, on the jack stands this weekend and I made sure all the bolts were tightened and everything was looking good and hit up my buddy Alex and I said, Hey man, you want to go for a ride in the new, the new suspension setup? He's like, yeah, man. And so, uh, uh, went out, picked him up and we went and cruised some of the back roads and, um, decided to get on it a little bit. And, um, when I matted it, uh, the, uh, heater core decided that it didn't want to be in one piece anymore. And it, and it, uh, just sprang a nasty little leak and started dumping coolant all over the passenger footwell. And, um, it was pretty nasty weather out of the time, you know, it was, uh, it was pouring down rain. And so immediately, and it was cold, you know, immediately the windows fog up and, um, so I'm like, great. So, you know, we opened the 
windows off and I turned the defrost off and we're driving and it's coolant doesn't puke a ton out more, but it, you know, it's still, it's still kind of slowly you know, dripping water out uh, or coolant, I should say. And pull into the garage or pull into the house and everything's just fogged up and I can't see anything. And I start lining the car up and um, I have to swing my front end around to, you know, to get into the garage. And the Falcon is just to the left of me and cut it a little too close and I hit my quarter panel on the Chevy and drag it right across the front bumper of the Falcon. Just uh, just caved in that rear quarter panel, man. And it just, oh, it just makes me sick. And I was just like, oh, seriously. So um, I had to repair there were a couple of spider webs and, uh, and a couple of spots where I had done some bondo over the, over the uh, patch panels that I put in. And um, so I had to, to rebondo that and block it out and feather that in. But um, other than that, I, uh, you know, ended up ordering another heater core for it. And um, I have to, because it's kind of a custom deal, I have to kind of make something work for, for the heater core. So I have to solder some pipes on there to fit the stock heater box and stuff. But anyway, not an ideal uh, way to spend the weekend. You know? <laughs> that's, that's, that's a bummer. Cause you, you finally got that thing back up and, and going. And then uh, is that something that, shouldn't break or is that kind of well you know the way it's put together and the age of it uh definitely should not have broken um <laughs> and uh it you know it was a new um it was a new basically a brand new part so i mean it, it definitely shouldn't have broken um you know it it the part that failed was not uh, was not the customized part, I should say. It was the um, it was the actual heater core itself. It wasn't the the, the pipes that were soldered onto the heater core. So, was that like a a new manufactured one, or is that um, like a, original to the car? Because there's not much that was original to that car. No, left. so that it, it, the shell of the heater box is um, is is original uh, style. You know, it's the it's a re, it's a recirculating style um, heater. But the heater. piece that broke. Yeah, the piece that broke was actually out of a '60s um, a '60s uh, Ford um, car that you can you can basically buy a brass or copper, I should say, heater heater core for those uh, for like 35 bucks. And so instead of using these the the heater core that was originally the car is this big round uh, heater core, and it's. Uh, very expensive and hard to find and they can't take a lot of pressure and so this one's square and it's small easy to find parts for and stuff um and it basically uh was fit inside of the original housing and then uh some pipes are soldered on so that it has the same outlets through the firewall uh anyway uh the part that actually broke was the center part of that heater core um so i'm gonna have to uh, basically i ordered a new heater core for the for that year um car and then uh solder those those tubes back on so unfortunately i mean it's not a, a, a you know horrible fix it's just something i was hoping i wouldn't have to do uh you know right now but it is what it is so yeah it'd be nice to be able to drive it for a little while but at least it's off season yeah i, I did uh I, I bypassed the uh the heater core now so i'm, I'm still driving it it's very cold <laughs> it's just cold. Yeah, I just I went for a drive tonight in you know the thirty eight degree weather we had. Um, 
and uh, went out and cruised around. And my dad just got back into town, so he went out and drove it for the first time with the new rear suspension set up, and he was pretty stoked on it. Thought it was pretty good. So, um, so yeah. That's our rides for this week. So we're going to go into uh, our thoughts and topics and uh, something we talked about last week but didn't get into. Um, there was a uh, an intake swap that Jeff did. Um, why don't you go ahead and start start at the beginning. Start at B for BBK. BBK. Uh, okay, so uh, I was in college and had no money. And I was driving my uh, Fox body back and forth. And uh, uh, from the urging of all of you guys and my friends uh, <laughs> telling me, you need to do this, you need to do that. Okay, so decided to pull the trigger and go to the junkyard and get a uh, Explorer intake. And uh, I used, uh, I think I used Andy's tools uh, at his dad's place to pour out the uh, intake and um, got it all prepped, and on um, one of my trips home, um, we decided, I think it was one of my trips home, maybe it was summer from college, we decided that we were going to, uh, you know, spend an evening, we're just going to swap the intake out, you know, no big deal. I was going to use the same throttle body, I was going to use the same EGR spacer, all the same stuff, right? Sounds like a pretty easy task. So anyway, we uh, we get over there, and first thing, right off the bat, like, every bolt in the thing is seized like just won't come out um and we have i think we had at the time we had six relatively decent i mean pretty good mechanic mechanically inclined guys over there working on this thing and uh at one point i think we had to we pulled out the sawzall we had a sawzall off my intake because the egr spacer uh, studs were completely solid inside of the aluminum housing and when we went to back the bolts out they snapped and then when we went to drill the bolts out the drill bit snapped so uh, you can imagine we're trying to get this thing apart and it's fighting us just tooth and nail every step of the way um, and I think the EGR spacer probably gave us the biggest uh, headache and that was a K part um anyway yeah so um it's let's see where did where did we so we ended up getting all of that taken apart and i think we ended up getting i think we ended up having to pull um we couldn't run the EGR spacer i think it's something that we just said screw that we can't we can't put this back on jeff you're gonna have to get a new one i had no money so i'm like oh great how am i gonna come Right, the spacer, the spacer ended up being junk, if I recall, after we got done. Yeah. So we had to, we ended up having to flip something or another. We had to re, we had to reroute the throttle linkage for it to work properly for the, the geometry of it for it to actually pull on the throttle body correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we uh, we flipped the throttle body upside down. Uh, That's right. So that it would clear the fuel rail on the on the uh, the injector fuel rail. Um, cause it was hitting the EGR spacer, uh, it was the spaced it away from that. So when you hit the gas, it would actually clear, um, the fuel rail. So we flipped it upside down by doing that because I had an automatic kick down cable no longer fit and worked properly. So we just zip tied the kick or the, the, which is really not a good thing to do with an automatic is we just zip tied that off to the side and just left it. Um, 
but yeah, we flipped the, the throttle body over and uh, I think we started this, what, at seven at night or something. And at this point in time, it was probably three in the morning by the time we got through most of this. And, uh, so we put the new, we put the, uh, the injectors on from the Explorer intake and we do all this stuff, new overings and, um, Finally, we're like, okay, we're just going to do, we're going to run it all upside down and just get you home, right? So I can go home and go to sleep. And um, we fired up at, I think, what, 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning. And by that time, it's just me and you left. Like, everyone has dissipated and uh, fired up and immediately fuel leak right out of one of the injector openings. And, and, and I was just like, you got to be kidding me. And uh, I think at that point you took me home and then turned around and drove home back to your house and finished the car and called me at seven in the morning, two hours later or whatever, by the time you got home, uh, that my car was done and come to come get it. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that was uh, me, meanwhile, the other, the other four mechanics in the garage were unknowing to you screwing with your car, which was that made me quite so much as well. That, that, you know, that, it's almost like uh, it's almost like somebody unhooked the wiring to your sub. Yeah, they, they decided that it would be a great idea to uh, disconnect my subwoofer uh, from my from my car while we were working on it, and uh, and they thought that would be hilarious. Uh, so that that was that took longer to diagnose than the actual intake swap, though. That was the funny part. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that was quite the uh, quite the pain in the ass job. Way more trouble than we expected it to have. Should have been a straightforward hour job and turned into a twelve hour job. That was one of those things where uh, you know anyone we told the story was like, "How did it take that long?" Well, when you don't have the right parts and you're trying to make something, you know, like just, it just, it just spiraled. It was, it was crazy. I came by a couple separate times. Um, cause I was out with, with the family doing, uh, this was around Christmas time. It was December, right? I'm pretty sure Jeff, you were back. I'm pretty sure you were back for like winter break. I must've been cause I feel like I was, I was actually here for at least a couple of weeks. Cause I know we, I, I came by, uh, two, two different times the first day. Um, I think I came by and then, um, went Christmas shopping with my family. Um, and then swung back by at the end of the shopping trip and stuck, stuck around for about an hour and a half each time. And, uh, it just basically just laughed and watched and never got my hands dirty. Like, Everyone there knew so much more than I did. Uh, I was like, ah, he's in good hands ish, or at least there's nothing I could do to help uh, shorten the time. But um, it was, it was fun to watch everyone work. And, and I learned a lot and then watched um, one of uh, our friends, one of the uh, many P breaks for Jeff uh, moving grounding cables and um, music wires and, and, and such for him to find later. Um, 
was it gave me some entertainment and then i i just went home and then the next next morning i get a, a text from jeff that says hey uh my my car's finally done could you give me a ride out there so i got the chance to uh drive out there and drop jeff off and uh andy you could tell he had been up for a couple of days um and finally finally got it he was so proud he got it he got it beat and uh sure enough uh jeff was able to to drive home uh and it was neat to see it all kind of at the stages of kind of just a few hours in and then you know middle of the night when everything was kind of going wrong and they were talking about taking a sawzall to the intake which happened that happened yeah yeah that happened. and then seeing it all take a sawzall and a torch at one point yeah we had a we had a we had osteoacetylene i think and we had propane and we tried you know we tried multiple things to try to get those bolts out and nothing would come out they were just in there doing well, that was quite quite the intake swap. Then that's um, uh, that. I think that's not. I don't think it's supposed to be that hard. I think you're supposed to be more of a. I think they call it a bolt-on mod, Jeff. Yeah, I think that was supposed to be uh, what was advertised. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was not a bolt-on situation. As as not as it was billed. There, there was something from last week. Uh, last week we were talking about SUVs and sedans, and um, we we touched on uh, a couple of things. But I think there's, uh, I think there's a little, little more to that. Well, um, we talked about safety and and safety tech, and we talked about uh, drive uh, seating position uh, being big things. Um, but SUVs versus sedans and wagons. Um, Andy's going to have a little more uh, to say about this, but I'm interested if, if uh, Jeff can kind of uh, get where I'm coming from. But getting in and out of a sedan or a hatch is just fine, but there's an extra level when you're pulling an infant seat in and out or you're loading kids in and out, you're loading um, you know, diaper bags and such. And uh, I've got two kids. Andy has one. Uh, Jeff uh, doesn't have any, and that's you know. So we get it. We'll get a good spread on this. But I I started with the you know 2012 Focus Hatch, and we were able to fit uh, the rear facing car seat uh, in it just fine. We got a a Di Note, good brand. I highly recommend it, and it it fit good. But the way that the that the kind of back of the door slopes down towards the hatch um that's right where your head wants to go and so you really yeah. have to drop a shoulder and then kind of pull the kid a little bit closer and then bring it in and then set him down and it's you've always got this rail kind of in your shoulder and you know i'm i'm not a big guy i'm i'm six foot 150 but i just can't that was it was kind of hard to worked my way in there and you know the hatch was always big enough to fit all the things we need and the car overall was technically as big as as we needed but getting kids in and out uh, was a, a bit of a pain and we didn't realize that so much until we got the 2010 escape you know not a not a big vehicle it's a compact cro- uh, crossover but just the ability the the back upper back of the door being squared off 
made oh, all the difference in the here. world and and it being you know six to eight inches higher off the ground you don't have to go down into it it changed changed our lives overnight right a hundred percent will do that and ironically enough i went the opposite direction from you we started with the tucson when we had our first here and it was great it was easy to get in easy to get out it wasn't too high you know a little bit bigger than your escape but not you know like full-size massive suv but you know had all the room in the world and everything and it was a great car and everything but you know the now once we moved and everything started driving a significantly further distance you know mileage started to become a factor so we traded that went down to you know, a, a, a you know a Mazda three, a 2016 Mazda three, not quite the hatch, not the hatchback, just the sedan, you know, standard five door, you know, sedan, but same kind of thing. That roof line slopes down in that too, not quite as bad as like a hatch does, but it's noticeably different. And you know, when you're you know your size or my size, you know, we're both tall, six plus foot, and you know, it's like, you know, it's like trying to. It's like tucking the football in and you're going for a run. You got to drop the shoulder and go. Yeah, the football is a good analogy. Yeah. Yeah, it's significantly more difficult. Yeah, and it, we don't have a lot more, didn't have a lot more storage space in it because compact hatch versus a, a compact SUV were still, you know, pretty, pretty equi- equitable. And, you know, uh, if it would have been the same year, the, uh, the escape was built on the focus platform. I mean, most, mm-hmm. most people know that it's, it's basically just a lifted one that they kind of just stretch up and, you know, stretch wide, just wider yeah. a little bit. Um, like editing with Microsoft paint, you just kind of drag it and there you go. Yeah. A bit distorted, but um, it, it was just easier to get them in and out and everything being a little more vertical uh, helped, helped with that. And for me, having my two rangers and spending most of my time in a truck going to the escape which was very much in 2010 it was built more like like an f-150 or a ranger it had a pass-through console but it, it had very vertical surfaces very upright it was the interior was built like a truck versus the focus and now the newer escapes that have that very stylized deep set um a dash with the with the steep rake of the windshield you know this had a very upright windshield it felt very much like driving the ranger so it it made it more comfortable for us to to drive it and i don't know why uh the mustang was very cockpitty yeah you kind of get that little bit of you know sense of familiarity with it you know it's kind of you know a very probably bad analogy but like a four-door ranger yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's not that bad of an analogy, actually. If if it would have had a proper all wheel drive, because uh, ours was a, a front wheel drive uh, V six, um, you know, the engine was uh, displacement wise a little smaller, same amount of cylinders as the Ranger, but it put out more power um, because the Cologne V six is really bad. Um, you know, two hundred and fifty ish horsepower, two forty, I believe. Um, all to the front wheels was was fun in its own right, but if it would have been a proper, like, you know, uh, 
03-ish Explorer drivetrain, then perhaps it would have it would have done more of that of that Ranger feel, but it wouldn't have given the flat floor in the back, which was which is underrated um, for having uh, kiddos and such. Yeah. So Jeff, you have no kids, but I, I I still wonder if you've kind of noticed a difference with ingress and egress and loading things in and out of vehicles that kind of have that that sloped uh, back doors versus squared up like trucks, and what your opinions are for you know squared up SUVs and trucks versus the the more stylized uh, sedan curves and how that affects daily usability of it honestly um i don't know if i have enough experience in that uh in the modern car context to really comment either way um, you think all of your all of your vehicles are pretty squared up I'm, I'm thinking about what you own and all of them you don't have back doors no i don't i don't have any four doors um and the only four doors i've been around have all been squared up really um, you know, so I can't really speak too much to, to this without, you know, speaking out of turn really. Okay. Uh, that was just one other thing that I thought really, uh, kind of separated the two is, um, is, is hauling kids around like, you know, why does everyone have to get an SUV or a minivan when they have kids? Um, side tangent, the minivan is technically the right answer but I will never own one. Um, they are built uh, from from the ground up to be perfect for that. So that's that's really SUVs and stands. Um, do you guys have any other thoughts of of um, you know why why people choose one over the other? I mean, obviously sedans get a little bit uh, better mileage, but SUVs are are catching up in that and they're just as quiet and comfortable anymore um do you guys have any thoughts on that uh topic before we close the door i mean if if i if i was looking new versus new right now sedan hatchback versus suv it's a close race between a focus st and an explorer st right now honestly being i've seen an explorer st in person now actually today i saw one at one of my customers and absolutely fell in love with it. It's, it's a close race, honestly. Yeah. For me, the, uh, the SUVs, I mean, they make a ton of profit on SUVs. That's, that's part of why they're doing it. You know, that's what people want and it's a higher, much higher, uh, profitability. Uh, like the average focus brings in about $1,500 in profit, the average um, escape brings in like thirty five hundred, and the average F one fifty brings in like eight or nine, and Super Duties are in the double digits. Like some of them, they make fifteen thousand dollars a profit. Versus Super 50- Duty profits make me sick. How much they make off of those? It's insane. It's it's crazy, you know. And so, why would you put the effort into trying to sell a Fiesta at you know a thousand dollars of profit if you could put the same amount of effort or arguably less into a eighty to a hundred thousand dollars Super Duty and make fifteen thousand uh, dollars in exactly. profit selling that? If you put in the same effort versus that, you make the same. If you put in more effort, you're going to make exponentially more. 
SUVs are selling like crazy here. You know, everybody wants SUVs. You know, we've a little bit harsher weather than Portland does, but like everybody's buying SUVs here. I I go into like complete neighborhoods here and like at like the six o'clock hour when everybody's coming home, like it's like Raptor, 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 Denali, Denali, Raptor, you know, navigators, you know, it's all SUVs and trucks, I guess, too. I think there's some level of comfort that comes with the command seating position and the and the ride. You know, you get the longer wheelbase, generally longer wheelbases, uh, pitch and yaw less than short wheelbase. Um, so you get a little bit better ride quality out of your truck or SUV. Um, you're off the road more. So I think there's some of that that plays into the popularity of the SUVs and trucks over maybe the sedans and the and the um, and the wagons. I want to play a game. Um, so I've I've got the. Uh, I'm not going to tell you where it is, but I've got a uh, a, a 2019 market share of uh, the U.S. light vehicle market. Um, so what do you think? What do you think in October of 2019? So kind of going into fall, but not too much. Uh, what do you think the market share is on? Uh, what do you think the top three, top three are? You're talking um, as far as modality. Well, we've got um, like they've got proper SUVs, they've got small cars, vans, midsize cars, pickups, vans, crossovers. Like, what do you what do you think's leading with market share and with what percentage? I don't know what percentage, but I would say crossovers and and trucks are, are at the top of the list right now, followed by probably mid-sized vehicles. I would uh, I would say crossovers, trucks and SUVs are probably all at the top. You guys got the got the first two crossover and pickup are at the top of the list. Crossovers account for forty percent of market share. Yeah, that's about what I would expect. That's why there's so many lame cars on the road. And then <laughs> pickups come in, come in, came in at second. This is in October at 17%. And then it goes small and mid-sized are 11 and 10. And then proper SUVs are only 8%. And then it just goes down from there. Uh, luxury mm-hmm. cars, vans, and large cars. Um, but yeah, like crossovers are more than twice the market share of pickups. Now here's the thing. Everybody's making crossovers now too. And that's exactly why. And they're making more of them. There's new models. That's, that's definitely see There's a, you know, I would say I see a fair share of you know, prevalence in advertising for crossovers anymore. Absolutely. You know, uh, the, the pickups are the best selling vehicles. Like uh, despite these numbers, um, pickups and the F-150 and the Camry are just that that's what sells. Those are always at the top of the list for yearly, uh, production and sales. Um, but when you condense it down to, uh, you know, the whole segment, like you said, the proliferation of crossovers, pickups, we can, we can count them. We could sit here and count them. You know, you've got, uh, Chevy and GMC each have four. Like every, everyone, everyone basically has four. You know, they have their their midsize, 
their uh, yeah. their half ton, three quarter small, ton, one large, ton. Small, medium, large, and towing and walk yeah. towing. Yeah, Dodge doesn't yet have a, a midsize, uh, but you know, Toyota's Toyota's got two, Nissan has one, and you can go through, but crossovers? Oh, my Lanta. I mean, we're talking each brand's got ten of them at this point. Down from subcompact, compact, midsize, three row midsize, full size, and then there's like the full size SUVs. Um, and that's every brand and every sub brand has the full gambit of them anymore because that's that's just where the money is. That's what people want. It's uh, it's that practicality uh, winning over uh, over emotion, right? I think uh, you get the space of a uh, SUV to some degree and you get the efficiency of a, of a car or closer to some to degree. And it's a, it's a nice compromise for most people. Yeah. Even, even though the, the huge price difference, I mean, you, you load up, uh, I'm just going to have to go with Fords cause I, I know their, their lineups, you load up a, a fusion, uh, or you load up like an edge, which both carry, they're both, uh, you know, five people, uh, you know, you can carry more stuff in the edge. They can both be had with all wheel drive. Uh, the fusion's going to get better mileage by 10, maybe more. Um, but the price difference, if you load them up, you've got that fusion running in the low to mid thirties, uh, but for the equivalently equipped uh, Ford Edge, I assume it's still around. Um, what are we looking at? 50? 55? I don't know. Yeah, what to say. We'd have to look it up, but I know the SUVs are, are generally 10 grand or more higher than their equivalently sized um, sedan, which... Then you start comparing them against hatchbacks, and you know your your advantages just diminish because your cost of maintenance is going to be higher because they're generally all wheel drive. That's one more thing to worry about. That's, um, you know the the worst fuel economy. It's just I I don't think it's practical on on many levels, but it's just it's what people want. It's one of those. When someone asks you, you're interested in cars, someone asks you, what car should I buy? What do you tell them? I tell them, well, what are you looking at? I say, well, I'm looking at a Camry. You should buy a Camry. Well, why? Because it's what you want. You're not, you can't talk someone into a car. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So I think we're going to close out SUVs and sedans there. Um. I, I feel like we've said what we have to say on that. And uh, next week we're going to, we're going to come in we're going to talk our dream cars. I think uh, Jeff had this idea and I really like it. Um, and I've, I've come up with a few different things, you know, if, if you could get something, you know, money's money's not an, not an object, but you know, specify it down to, to an area. If you could get any classic muscle car, anything pre 75, you know, from Detroit, uh, you know, front engine V8, uh, you know, what would you get JDM, you know, like our, R 32 skyline is probably going to be my answer. 
Um, and then, you know, some something European. Is it, is it a 2002? Um, and then just something pre-60. Jeff's going to be Jeff's going to be on top That's of this. That's his category for sure. But everyone can find something uh, pre-60s. I mean, you start looking at, um, you know, fun brands and you'll you'll find some stuff. Uh, what about track toys um, you like the KTM Crossbow or uh, alternately, I don't know, a 1960 Ford Falcon that you throw a V8 in and put some wide tires on an autocross. That'd be fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about motorcycles, you know, crotch rockets, cruisers, um, dual sports, like whatever, what sounds fun. And, you know, obviously hypercars, you got to talk supercars, you got to talk hypercars, you know, stuff that's capable of 200 stuff that's capable of 250, <laughs> like. And, and ending on hypercars, I, I will have to find the link again, but the new, uh, uh, Jesco, Jesco, I don't know the proper pronunciation of it yet but uh they Konasek teased a little uh short little clip of the jesco exhausts this week and it is quite nice mm. yeah we also gotta uh, add in the electric supercars into that uh you know the tesla roadster if it can deliver on what it claims that is certainly a hypercar definitely Zero to sixty in under two seconds, uh, you know, two fifty plus top speed, and a six hundred mile range. That's that's a hypercar if ever I've I've seen one. That's got some competition with the, um, uh, no, the one I'm thinking of. No, that's not one hundred percent electric. It's a it's a crossover, I guess. The Agera. Oh yeah, the Agera. But that'll that'll be uh that'll be fun next week so uh, give us some some thoughts uh if we if we do have some listeners please write in we have a web page we have an email um so please uh i'll be monitoring the email uh personally if, if anyone writes in with your with your dream cars uh classic muscle jdm uh, European pre sixty track toys motorcycles hypercars. If you have another uh, category, we we can cover that as well. Um, yeah, please uh, stop in and and uh, and say hi. Okay, so we'll start with Jeff. What do you got? Final thoughts. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. Do something. Don't do nothing. Watch out for those corners and them telephone poles. They'll jump out in front of you. Yeah, those those uh, those leaves are really pesky. They're slippery. And slippery, them slippery things. Would you would you just look at them? Would you, would you look at that? Look at it. Would you look at that? Good night, folks. For listening to the Garage Night podcast. A special thanks for Jeff Tracy and Annie Tamlin for joining the show this week, and to Kara Square for allowing us to use their song Blue Skies Blues under the Creative Commons license for the intro and outro of the show. Until next week, keep turning wrenches. <laughs>